Welcome to the Odyssey Podcasts. This is Jean Cavellos, Director of Odyssey. Odyssey is an intensive six-week workshop for writers of fantasy, science fiction, and horror whose work is approaching publication quality and for published writers who want to improve their work. Odyssey is held each summer on the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. Adult writers from all over the world apply. Only 16 are admitted. Top authors, editors, and agents serve as guest lecturers. For more information, visit www.odysseyworkshop.org. Podcast 60 is an excerpt from Barbara Ashford's lecture at Odyssey 2012 on Tension Headaches. This excerpt will be continued in Podcast 61. The text of this recording is Copyright 2012 by Barbara Ashford. The sound recording is Copyright 2012 by Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust. I think no matter how fantastic the setting, readers want to read about real people. People they can empathize with, people they can care about. Characters who are inwardly conflicted aren't only more interesting to read about, they actively engage the reader. Donald Moss, um, who I'm sure you have heard of, has said that what pulls us into a story and grabs our hearts are the things that happen inside a character. But we obviously can't spend all of our time inside a character's head because then that would make the story too internal. So what we're going to do in the first half of the lecture is focus on ways to add complexity, and then in the second half talk about ways to get that out on the page. Before you can write convincingly about a protagonist, you have to understand his or her true nature. And many times when I'm doing the critiques for the Odyssey Critique Service, I have a lot of questions for writers because the motivations and the nature of the protagonist aren't clear on the page. Specifics are the key, and drilling down is the key. So some of the questions that I ask writers when I'm critiquing or when I'm writing out a critique, not only what does your character want most, but why? What does he fear most, and why? What has he done that he's most ashamed of or most proud of? What events have shaped him the most, and why? Who does he trust or mistrust, and again, why? What does a protagonist consider his greatest strength, and his greatest weakness. Is it really his greatest strength, or does he just believe it is, and there is something else inside of him that he has to learn that is his greatest strength? How can his greatest strength also be a weakness? How can it, through your choice of plot events, turn the strength into a weakness, or a weakness into a strength? How does his magical powers help him and hurt him? And if you'll notice, a lot of those questions revolve around opposites. Everybody has more than one reason for doing anything. Everybody has contradictions. Contradictions build complexity. Complexity builds inner conflict. And with inner conflict, you have tension and you have the opportunity for suspense. So if you're trying to define your character's true nature, again, be specific as possible. Let's say you think one of the character's defining qualities is stubbornness. Zero in. What exactly does that mean? Does that mean strong-willed? Does it mean tenacious? Does it mean inflexible? Is it a strength or a weakness? Can it be both? 
zero in on what the opposite is. Is that flexible, fickle, willing to compromise? These shadings will help you get closer to the true nature of your protagonist. Consider any trait as a gradation on a scale. Um, just like committed to obsessive, if you take a character who is bold, can you push them on that scale from reckless to bold to cautious to timid? Can you move them along that scale? Can you develop the plot incidents that will do that in a believable manner? You know, a bold warrior might be bold in one situation, you might be bold in battle, but be hesitant and awkward in another. Um, not only can drilling down help you zero in on your protagonist, but it can also help you choose the plot incidents that you need to put pressure on your protagonist, force him to make difficult choices that will reveal his true nature. So going back to the character who is stubborn, why is the character being stubborn in this particular situation? Is it because she knows she's right? Is it because she's never considered the alternative? Is it because the alternative carries some kind of fear for her? Something she's afraid to look at so she does not go there? Does she consider stubbornness a strength and compromise a weakness? Is she afraid to be perceived as weak? What situations can you design to test her stubbornness or force her to face her greatest fear? How long can she cling to her stubborn position? What are the risks to her and to the world if she clings to it too long? What or who could force her to abandon that position and compromise? How does she feel if she is forced to compromise? Does she feel angry, betrayed, stupid, relieved? Does she feel all of those things? How will whatever those feelings are influence her behavior the next time she's in a position where she has to take a stand. Is she going to second guess herself now? Is she going to cling more stubbornly to the position? Because this time, she's not going to compromise. And again, how do those choices influence her relationship with other people and ultimately her ability to succeed in her quest? These are the kind of specific questions that will help you understand your character more and look, look below the surface. Um, and while analysis can be good, it can also be confining, which is why sometimes a more intuitive technique can be helpful. That's why I do improv, because it is intuitive, it is in the moment. But another technique that you can use is called mind mapping. What basically mind mapping is, is a way of brainstorming. What you do is you write down whatever you're going to be brainstorming about in the center of your page. That's supposed to help you move away from linear thinking. But the key, as in any brainstorming, is not to edit, to just let things come out, and to write down key words, key phrases, um, a symbol, perhaps, of whatever comes to mind. And if what comes to mind is, oh, I forgot to take my laundry out of the dryer, you write down laundry. You don't edit at all. If nothing comes down, draw lines between the words, see if you can find the relationships. The key is getting out of your head a little bit and allowing things to just sort of spew. Kind of try to tame the inner editor and, and be in the moment, as actors would say. So I'd like to try a mind map. Um, for um, a story or novel that you're working on, take an important character, one that you, you, know, you want to know more about, write down the character's name, 
in the center of a blank piece of paper, and then spend five minutes mind mapping that character's qualities. Anything and everything that comes to mind about him or her. What I'd like you to do now is to just look, if you wrote down qualities, look at the qualities you wrote down and circle three of them. Or if you didn't write qualities down, write down a quality that you consider to be central to that character, a defining quality that shows his or her true nature. And next to each quality, write down its opposite. I, I think looking at opposites is a good way to build complexity, just as looking at the gradations on the scale is a way to build complexity. So if mind mapping works for you, that's great. Sometimes I think it's, you, you have to be at the point where everything's ready to just vomit out of your head, to use a lovely term. But, you know, if you're at that point, I think it's more likely that it's been simmering for a while and it's ready to come out. So if it doesn't work for you all the time, that's fine. But look for other intuitive tools that can get you away from the computer and open you up to allow these kind of revelations to occur. Another thing that I think you can do to create complexity, actors will also use their own experiences to help get at the emotional core of the scene. It's also something that Donald Moss recommends. He calls it lighting the fire inside your character. So if you're writing a scene about betrayal, think about a moment when you felt betrayed. It seems really obvious, but it's surprising sometimes that we don't draw more on our own feelings, our own experiences. Think about what triggered it. Think about what made it really bad. So it wasn't just my friend betrayed a secret to someone else. It's my friend put the secret up on Facebook. When you're reconstructing this moment in the past, try to recall your responses. What were your involuntary responses? You know, in terms of did your heartbeat pick up? Did you did your throat tighten? Did you, you know, feel pressure building up inside your head? What was your immediate emotional response? Did you cry? Did you get angry? What was your immediate physical response? Did your body tense? Did you slump down in your chair? Did you throw your laptop across the room? What small details can you remember about that moment that can make it unique to your character? Do you smell the scent of a gardenia? outside and this is a smell you've always loved but now suddenly it sickens you. Smell and sound in particular are good at conjuring memory. I mean how many times have you heard a song and you remember exactly where you were, what you were doing, what you were feeling at that moment. It's not enough to create emotional resonance in the scene in which the moment occurs. You know if there's a life-changing or really wrenching emotional moment, it needs to continue to resonate later in the book. You can't just go merrily on your way after you've picked yourself up, dusted yourself off. I'm not saying that you have to navel gaze constantly. I'm not saying you have to obsess about it. But you have to choose the moments where this emotional moment is going to affect how the character acts, how the character feels, how the character interacts with others and how it's going to impact his ability to succeed on his quest. And you need to show that, not merely talk about it. And that kind of brings me up to uh, the issue of backstory. 
I love backstory. <laughs> I think backstory's gotten a bad rap. And I think that's usually because it's done poorly. Like dumping a lot of it in the early chapters, which we all know we shouldn't do. For me, though, the reverse can be just as annoying when I'm reading a book and it feels like the character has no life before chapter one. No family, no past, no friends. They just spring forth like Athena from Zeus's head. And again, as I mentioned last night, the issue of referencing a, a terrible loss in the backstory that never impacts the character, that to me feels either shallow or manipulative, and neither of those are going to create empathy for me for a character. I think creating successful backstory is a two-step process. First, you need to choose the backstory that best illuminates the journey that the protagonist is going to take in this book. And secondly, you need to decide how and when to use it for maximum effect. So while it may be tragic that a character lost her parents in a car accident, the reason to include it as backstory is if that loss continues to impact her and influence her choices in this book. Backstory should not be used to rehash old feelings and old wounds. And then it's just info dump as character development. What it needs to do is create present conflict and raise questions and create a mystery about the character or to raise anxiety or curiosity in the reader. It has to be an active process. When you insert backstory into a scene, look for a concrete image that you can use that will conjure the past memory and trigger an emotional reaction in the present from the protagonist. So if you look at that opening chapter as spellcast, this is what I tried to do. Maggie sees the man and the little girl, and she tears up. How many of you, based on that moment, immediately said, oh, okay, this is something to do with her father? How many of you put the two and two together when she got to the theater, and she starts talking about her father and carousel, and then he walked out? I, I didn't care when you came up with that, because to me that wasn't the biggest mystery. The biggest mystery the most important mystery, I thought, was why did Maggie react the way she did? How did her dysfunctional family not only shape her in the past, but how is it going to continue to shape her behavior now? I want to try another exercise, and that is to look at your defining qualities. Write down a moment that occurred in your character's backstory that helped shape whatever quality you choose and make it specific so it's not just my father never showed pride in my accomplishments it was the moment when I told my father that I won a scholarship to Harvard and he said don't let it go to your head kid so choose a quality determine the specific moment and identify the specific emotions that your character felt at that moment he may not translate it like that now. That's one of the things with, with backstory is that when a memory comes back in the present, it may trigger different emotions or the same ones. For instance, the kid who won the scholarship, back then he might have just felt rejected and dejected and hurt. As an older man, having gone through whatever life has had to offer, now he may feel bitter and angry. So 
you know, a happy memory. I mean, Maggie's memory of, of you know, when she sees the, the, the man and the little girl, the memory for her is a happy memory of this imaginary game that she and her father played, but it's because of the events that came after that it now has this very bittersweet, more bitter than sweet quality for her. Um, so keep that in mind when you're creating the moments in the past and the moments in the present. This is the end of part one. For part two, listen to podcast 61. The text of this recording is copyright 2012 by Barbara Ashford. The sound recording is copyright 2012 by Odyssey Writing Workshops Charitable Trust.